Welcome to the Berman Hour Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman. It is damn good to be with you. My guest this week is Mike Biancaniello, friend, producer, songwriter. Mike produced, uh, he's one of the four producers I worked with on Oblivion, but he produced the song called About You, and I love that song. It's a song that has gotten a lot of responses from people, which I wasn't expecting. You know, it's a, a deep cut. And Mike is not uh, the typical kind of producer that I worked with. He's from the pop world. I mean, he's worked with Five Seconds of Summer and Kelly Clarkson. So, you know, where does Divided Heaven fit into that? I don't know. But you got to listen to Oblivion to find out. But this conversation, we talk about Los Angeles. We talk about music production, obviously. We talk about publishing deals, the pop world. This is a great one. I hope you all enjoy my conversation with Mike Biancanello. Before we get into that, though, I just want to say that the Berman Hour podcast and this Into Oblivion series has been presented in partnership with our friends at punknews.org. And in general, the Berman Hour podcast is kept afloat by listeners and supporters like you. The best way to support the Berman Hour podcast now is by ordering the new Divided Heaven record, Oblivion. Go to dividedheaven.com and you'll see a link to order it whether you're in Europe or whether you're in the United States or the rest of the world through Gunner Records and AF Records respectively. Another way you can show support for this podcast is to like, right? You hit that subscribe button, right? You leave a comment and five-star review, right? Talk about it on social media, yeesh. All that stuff's free. It's all helpful. And it's greatly appreciated. So I hope that everyone's doing well. I hope that spring is finding you well. And I hope that you enjoy my conversation with producer and friend Mike Biancaniello. Let's go. Uh, we moved up out of the uh, craziness a little bit, a lot of it. Thousand Oaks, baby. Yeah. So, what is that? Have you been in the same apartment for the last couple of years through this pandemic? The one that you and I worked on about you in? Yes. So, I've been there for about four ish years. PAC. Fucking, I hate that fucking. Oh well, they took it over. We had the uh, we had the private owner situation for a while. That oh, that's, but then, yeah, they took it over and they turned it to shit, probably because that's what they yeah they uh, they wanted us to get the fuck out of there, pretty bad. So they didn't do much. What was and, that neighborhood uh, and area like the past few years over the pandemic? It got weirder, dude. It was like I don't know. Uh, it just got like visibly dirtier, and you could tell that like you know Valley Village was like supposed to be this new area code coming up in the, in the Valley. We're going to charge a little more for, you know, and it just, that totally halted. Like you felt it. Um, and yeah, like, I don't know. It just got all, all of the craziness that kind of like didn't quite get to us from Hollywood just kind of started coming up, whether it was, you know, crazy, uh, homeless encounters or if it was just people being, you know, the COVID thing just made people really strange, I think, sadly. Everybody that I talk to in L.A., because I miss it. I mean, I spent mm-hmm. 
12 years making LA my home and yeah. and then I uprooted in the pandemic. So I, I've been asking everybody, you know, what's it like? What's it like? What's it like? Everybody says weird. Yeah. Every, that's the word everybody fucking uses. Yeah. And like I said, like I, I, I felt like you could escape because when you live, when you're in Hollywood, it's always been weird, you know, but you, you could kind of escape it by the time you got to Studio City and, and, and definitely not anymore. So still, it's still pretty freaking, I mean, it's the suburbs out here in Thousand Oaks, so. Yeah, but it's like, nice. Like, I don't oh, know. yeah. I love it. Come on. It's real I'm nice. man now. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. And you got engaged since the last time I saw you? Yes. Congratulations. I got engaged in July. Yeah. Uh, putting you on the spot now in a public forum. What's the plan? The plan? Uh, get married is the plan. <laughs> I know <hope> so. <laughs> Well, I mean, Do you have a timeline, dude, or anything? Yeah, dude, we uh, we're freaking. We just started sending out save the dates, and for September twenty fourth, it's coming up. We're a little behind the ball, I think, as far as that goes. But for September twenty fourth, nah, you're fine. You think you're so? fine? Okay, yeah, cool. I I know. So people, yeah, no, COVID COVID happened, and now it's like a, a band will announce a stadium tour that's starting in two weeks. Like, <laughs> everyone's like, Oh yeah, I'll be there. And you're like, uh, I don't think I... you're going to get that kind yeah. of draw, but you know. <laughs> I'm actually secretly crossing my fingers. Like, man, that's a freaking guest list and a half. Okay, here we go. Oh dude. Yeah. Just, uh, just cut them. I, I don't know. I, I didn't feel like there was anybody missing from, we How landed at a hundred people. You had a hundred. I think the total was 90. I think there was a couple that didn't show up. I know there was a couple that didn't show up. I'm judging it mercilessly. I'm not going to say their name publicly. So wait, you had 98% of everybody show up to your wedding that you invited? No. We invited about 150-ish. Okay, cool. See, this makes me feel better because that's, that's, yeah, I think we're right around there. But we landed at 100 and then 98 were there. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And I think. You're going to name them right now? Take, take uh, out. yeah no i mean whatever I, I i got over it i think my wife might still use the one person as a professional reference so i don't want to but it was like a work invite you know and the oh, fact yeah. that they didn't show up it was like oh they felt we, it <laughs> we, <laughs> we invited you out of obligation like yeah like i didn't want them there but my wife felt it was important so yep. yeah yeah you know, so there's some of those some of those odd <laughs> invites yeah <laughs> yeah uh no no you you guys will fucking figure it out but uh i wanted to talk to you in the podcast because well you and i worked on one of the 10 songs that's on oblivion (laughs) (laughs) but it's the one that everyone's like yo that's my favorite jam why wasn't that that true that's cool so many people say that shit oh man that's nice to hear and i'm like oh all right then maybe maybe for the next record i'll work with mike on two songs let's go baby you know what you should do just for fun is show them the first version that i did oh yeah <laughs> i was like yeah listen man this is what you'd be like if you were you know like a teeny bopper pop star <laughs> what do you think though Sounds cool, right? <laughs> but it's 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 really interesting because the song about you was a song that was kicking around in my ecosystem for years uh, I yeah remember- i remember you saying that I remember writing it on tour in Europe in the fall of 2015. I remember recording it at home and thinking this might be good enough to release and then deciding against it. I remember recording it with Charlie Stavish on tape 
like on a like analog fucking tape machine with like a what's really it, what, warm what's tape <laughs> it's the it's the thing that you you cut and you tape together one piece of tape to the oh yeah i use that tape. to paint my walls that's what yes. I, I know what you're talking about yeah. yeah yeah and uh the vibe just wasn't was never there and so i i, I don't know i i've talked about this in a number of these podcasts where i'm talking to the personnel that i worked with on this record because i i like sharing with people that like it was the fourth record like i stopped giving a fuck i had to stop giving a fuck and i don't equate working with you mike as like i don't give a fuck anymore but it's more of like (laughs) it's more of like letting go of the control and being like everything has to be perfect to be like no like this producer fucking knows what he's doing like he has like yeah, gold, gold and platinum records. Like I'm just going to turn him loose on the song because I'm not precious about it. And I think that what you captured was certainly a different hue of divided heaven that mm-hmm. divided heaven listeners are experiencing and, and liking. And I think ultimately we'll want more of. So Mazel, dude, appreciate that, and and to you as well. I mean, like I can't tell you how many times my advice to upcoming artists has been quit being so precious, man. Like you can, you can wait around for years and years trying to not only write a song well or to your specifications or get it produced to your specifications, but people want to line up their records now with like the perfect PR. They want the perfect manager at the time of release, blah, 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 blah. And then years go by and they end up with no repertoire online or anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and now their song's old and they don't even want to release it either. So it's like it that is a big that's a big uh step forward in just any artist's life and like a big realization, I think. Yeah, it's kind of this two handed thing where I don't want to admit to myself like artists never want to admit that there might not be a well of songs to choose from so like when when they're really precious about stuff but for some reason i realized at this point i was like yeah i'm gonna always write songs like whether i'm touring as much or whatever that's to be determined because life is gonna unfold how it's going to unfold but Mm -hmm. there's always going to be new songs that i think are great so I, i don't need to put all of my proverbial eggs into this basket of this song or this batch of songs because ideally like record number five should be better better than record number four in the same way that oblivion i think is the best record i've ever done i hope so you know and but also it's like the idea of tracking the song together having a basic blueprint of kind of what we wanted and then having you go to the extreme as the first step and (laughs) working backwards was really cool i had never done that before is that always your approach well, pretty much. Like when people ask me to produce a song, I'll just do exactly what I think it should be. Um, you know, genre, tempo, all that stuff sounds. Yeah. So, and you know, working on your stuff was fun because I do live so much in like the pop world or the uh, hip hop and R and B worlds. Um, to get to do, you know, a divided heaven record <laughs> was fun, and I was like. I think I, I think the PR surrounding this podcast episode is going to be that you worked with uh, Switch, who are a great band, yeah. uh, number one sat number one track for like a record setting weeks or whatever. Yeah, was, there was right? uh, we had like three number ones in a row with those guys. Yeah, I mean it's incredible. Yeah. But a Christian band, and then on the other hand, you're working <laughs> with 
a devil worshiping heathen who has the word heaven in his band name. Dude, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's funny because <clears throat> anybody who knows me knows I'm. Um, I I've just religion freaks me out a little bit. At, at least organized, you know. Yeah, and I feel whatever way I feel about all that stuff. I'm not the most religious person ever, but. It's just, it's funny to know that, like, like you said, like, I'm this heathen, you know, this pot smoking heathen. He's like, churning out these freaking Christian records. Yeah. I, I was not. thinking, like, when we started the publicity angle for this, I was like, I hope that, like, they don't see me tagging him and then, like, look at my other shit and be like, well, we don't know if we can work with Mr. Yeah. Mr. Mike anymore. I, I don't know. But yeah. I, I think I think uh, I mean, and, and they're a great band for sure. I, I'm kind of curious, like, because I know I know that you do production and you also do songwriting. And a lot of times that's in tandem. But mm -hmm. can you kind of take us back to the beginning? Like, where did you kind of start your musical journey? And then, like, what was your first strength? Man, OK, well. My dad, obviously, or maybe not obviously to anybody else who's listening, but to you, um, big shoes to fill. He was like, I call him King of the Divas back in back in the day. <laughs> Lou, uh, yeah. Who who did your dad? I mean, I know him, he did the Jessica Simpson. Yeah, record. I mean, I'm sitting in kind of like his shrine of plaques right now. We're looking at he's on the Bodyguard album. He's got Natasha Benningfield over here, Kelly Jessica Clarkson, Simpson, yeah, Kelly Clarkson, uh, Mariah Carey. Uh, he's worked with Ella Fitzgerald. Wow. Uh, but he's kind of always there. bridged that gap. I mean, he's had a talk about longevity, like totally incredible, but like, he's also bridged that gap between being a songwriter and a producer as well. Right. Like did, did it always yeah. kind of go in tandem for him in the same way that it ultimately does now for you? Definitely. Like, you know, so like I said, I, I came up under him and it, it was pretty much hundred percent in tandem. And so that's just kind of how I learned it. Like I didn't really, to me, it wasn't a music producer and songwriter. It was a yeah. music producer songwriter, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so yeah, I came up under him. There's always a studio, like a professional studio built into our home. My dad did well enough, um, back then to just, you know, have kind of a really nice studio in his house. So, um, I was just always hearing music pumping through the walls. There was always, artists always writers coming over and i think naturally i just kind of i was always in in the studio with them just kind of learning by osmosis and i do remember one day i uh i was bugging him to like i was learning guitar so i was bugging him to like let me play on something right and he was like whatever <clears throat> i'm uh, my day's over i'll i'll humor my son and he mm -hmm. plugs me in he just kind of looks at me like what the heck? He's like, where'd you get that time? It's like, I don't know. I just thought this is how you do it. You know, you just freaking play and you play to the beat. He's like, yeah, but your pocket is like crazy. I was like, cool. I don't know what that means, but cool. <laughs> so that's probably like my first real strength. Um, as a player. As a player. Yeah. But also yeah. as a producer, I mean, to have that kind of thing under your belt, less, less important nowadays with all the technology, but I mean, just to get something right quick, is definitely worth it. Yeah, did you struggle with the technical aspects of engineering or did that also come to you pretty quickly? That definitely came pretty quickly as well. Especially cuz the age I got into it, I think when we're young, we're kind of like all super hip on the new technology. 
just like naturally. Now I feel like such an old man, like fumbling with my iPhone and stuff, but <laughs> yeah, I got it real quick. Um, and you're still cool. young though. I mean, like you didn't yeah, dabble yeah. in analog. Like you just, you were coming into the age as digital was coming into the age, right? Yeah. I mean, I dabbled with analog more in like live sound mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And, you know, outboard machinery and whatnot. But yeah, as far as uh, the record producing songwriting, it's been pretty like Pro Tools heavy, I'd say. It makes the process a lot faster. Jeez. Definitely does. And let's, I mean, I think honestly for pop music, it kind of makes it better too. Yeah. I mean, depending on what pop is at the time, but yeah, it's just so nice to be able to line up the snares, right? And just get like, <laughs> get that big fat, you know, sound and all the vocals lined up perfect and tuned and geez, you couldn't yeah. do that even close back in the day. We were listening to old seventies records, you know, like, um, like the Stevie Wonder era and just like all the backgrounds are so out of tune. That sounds so good. You know? Yeah, that's the character. I don't, I don't yeah. think you could pull that off in a production today. There's too much going on that's so in tune around it, you know? Yeah, I was wondering about that idea. This, Do you operate with the mode of perfection because that's just kind of the pop world that you're in and that's the, the era, so to speak? Or do you try to add nuggets that are perfectly imperfect for the purpose of adding like that sort of character to your work? Uh, it depends on, on what I'm doing, I'd say, but no, I'm not like, I'm not tied to the grid or, you know, perfectly in tune, especially if we're doing like, when you're doing rock and something like that, if, if everything's in like right in there, it doesn't sound right. No, it really doesn't. I don't think to anybody, especially if you know what you're listening for, it's just like, wait a second, what's wrong here? Oh, it's perfect. Ugh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I feel like the, in, uh, Sorry, nothing timestamps it more is than when it's like that it's like yeah immediately dated totally or just yeah. immediately i don't know just too uh, clean i don't know i don't know how, vanilla i guess yeah you, you need a little little grossness in there or in hip-hop too you know it's like yeah as long as I mean, it happens as long as it happens out of time every time then it's in time <laughs> well, exactly yeah <laughs> As long as it's totally terrible, then it still works. Yeah. Uh, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like w- when you're done for the day, what do you put on? Oh, uh, man. Probably podcasts these days. <laughs> it's interesting. I-, I know a lot of people who have a similar outlook on it because it's like, it's the respite from the music. Right. Like, yeah. It's hard, yeah. It's hard to turn off like your musical operating brain if, if that's your your passion and your job you know it is man and i used to make fun of my dad for it because he used to say that i'm like well it's just music like how could you not just you know listen to it and digest it dude when you're doing it for that long you know it's just like oh you're thinking about all the technical stuff you're thinking about what it looks like on the on the freaking pro tools rig you're thinking about what plugins they're using you're thinking about the sections you're thinking about what key to tempo you just can't freaking stop you know Sometimes yeah. you can, but it's just, it's sometimes it's really hard, hard to turn that off. So it just feels like you're still working. Yeah. I think I have dreams sometimes. I'm, I'm doing a job now where I'm working for a sonic branding company. So I'm, I have to do a lot of active listening mm-hmm. while also, you know, putting decks together for presentations and stuff. So sometimes when I'm dreaming, I can tell that I'm in work mode. And I've learned now that 
between my job and divided heaven stuff, if I can kind of break the seal, so to speak, by listening to podcasts after I'm done, then I usually yeah. sleep better. Isn't that fucking weird? Yeah, that is weird. I haven't I haven't tested that out, but I bet you you're totally right. But all right, I mean, but I I am sure you've had dreams, hundreds of dreams where like you're asleep, but you're looking at a Pro Tools grid in your dream. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've been having weird dreams recently, but yeah, those, <laughs> those definitely creep in there. And it's like, man, I can't tell you how many voice notes I have of like, I'll wake up in the middle of the night, like, oh, most brilliant pop song ever, blah blah. blah. <laughs> And then it's like just me singing a bass line, but like way too low to hear. So you're just like, oh, 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 oh. and then I'll be like, sick. And then, <laughs> and then it just ends. <laughs> All those yeah. freaking late night dream songs you think are brilliant. Yeah, I, I can have, make a freaking comedy series out of what I have in my phone. I've listened to a voice note recently that was from when I was still in LA and it was summer. It must have been, or it was hot, but the AC was on in the room. So all you hear is like, <laughs> but like it's, it's, I don't know about you like as soon as I hit the button to record I forget for a few seconds so yeah. it's this like awkward silence yeah. where it's like when I listen back to it I can see myself just looking at my phone thinking, <laughs> you remember like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and then it, all of a sudden this like brooding voice comes in it's like all right you know that song how you like me now yeah kind of like that it's kind of <laughs> like that but like more mercurial (laughs) and then you'll hum something but you're right you can't hear it because all your (sighs) yeah man i hope you use the word mercurial in your in your life because i've never even i think that's the first time it's ever come out of my mouth oh my best friend john uses it all the time he used it to describe ryan adams which who i i would call eccentric yeah i'm not even sure i know what mercurial even means to me it's like if you're in the arena of eccentric, which means like your personality is quirky to the point of being kind one. of a, kind of annoying, yeah. but like, <laughs> but it's kind of annoying because like you're kind of thinking about things on a deeper level. That's also kind of pretentious. Like that's mercurial for me. Got it. I don't know. I like, but, like it. I wouldn't want to be that, but if I can try to capture that vibe in a vocal performance, Oh yeah. Then then I'll do it. Hence the idea with the background of (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Studio City like driveway level apartment that's just ninety eight degrees at night. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking hell. Got the sirens in the background. Yeah, yeah. So did you go to school for this or it was literally just osmosis from being around your old man? Yeah, no school. Uh went to a year community college out of high school and decided I was just kind of done. Cause I was already at that point, like doing it pretty much. Yeah. So I was like, you know, so much, I don't need this gen ed stuff or whatever I was trying to do. Yeah. Could maybe go to my four year degree, which, you know, like I said, I was a music kid. So now I just learned by osmosis and, um, it's funny. Like I, I ran into, or still continue to run into a lot of these kids coming to like Berkeley or MI or, or stuff like that. And they've learned like engineering in class and out of books and they know a lot of really cool stuff but a lot of it's just like the wrong stuff <laughs> like <How so? laughs> it's just like you know the way they go about things they, there's like tons of ways to skin a cat as my dad would say you know and so they right. learn certain ways of doing things and it's just like man that's so not practical for what we're trying to get done right now like it's cool yeah. that you know how to do it that way but 
let me show you this way. You're like, oh, why didn't the teacher teach me that? Because they're not a songwriter. <laughs> they're not really a producer. <laughs> you know, like, they're teaching you out of a textbook, probably. You need to get in there and just go. I think that's the best way. Yeah, that was something I don't know if I was prepared for. I'm curious if you were, what, when you moved to L.A. and you're involved in music and you start dealing with kids that went to MI, I just, I was not prepared for that level of, like, intensity, but also, like, intense, intense, even when they're wrong about things. And oh, it, yeah. it doesn't, it's not even just recording. It could be, like, promoting or, or just, like, yeah. you know, having, like, a, the general good vibe at a band practice where you're like what like where are you from like what planet oh you went to mi uh okay yeah yeah i don't know what that is why they're so like that but i think la breeds it too it's just kind of the rat race you know everybody's just trying to get their idea across and and be the best and be heard yeah that's a good segue because you're a bay area kid yeah but you've been in la for probably 10 years now Almost exactly 10 years, I think, yeah. Oh, look at my math. Berman. I know, you're math. doing it, dude. But yeah, but I, I met you through your, your big sister. Yes. Well, your, your only sister. Yeah, Gina. through Gina. Uh, she, oh, wait, yeah, because yeah, she's, yeah, you're a baby. Of course she's older than you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And and Peter, who was, was my bestie when I did a, a a Berlin semester. My people who listen to my podcast are sick of hearing me talk about oh, my semester story. in Berlin with fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Um, being so material, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but uh, how did, uh, I, I feel like if, if you're growing up in the Bay area essentially you're just removed from Los Angeles and, and you know what I mean by that. You're not in that. Oh yeah. Totally. That odd, weird bubble. Right. And you're a Bay area kid, but then you come to LA, but most of the experience is working for and with your old man like was was landing in la difficult for you and in your work um no i think it was like kind of an eyes opening moment um because as much as i was doing stuff up in the bay area there's no business up there right there's no like real like crowd up there especially not now definitely not now and it was waning then so coming down to LA, it was like, oh man, there's like this whole other side of things. You know, there's meetings to go to with publishers. There's A and R floating around that'll just come in the room. Um, you know, all this and just so many writers. Um, so it was overwhelming, maybe, but I think it was like kind of a, a necessary turning point. You know, just to kind of light the fire under me and and know what it's really like to to work in the city because it is you know it's like the number one music hub still I believe. Um, so overwhelming maybe, but no, I wouldn't say it was difficult. I'd I'd say it was kind of like, oh man, look at this huge new uh, box of tools I have to work with. You know, right, right. Yeah, how does that work for you in terms of your existing publishing deal? I mean, you don't need to you know, read the fine print to us on, on a podcast. Oh, no, I'm, I've, uh, I've been out of, uh, I was signed to Sony ATV, um, for like four years. Um, I've been out of that deal for like, a, uh, almost two years now. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But when you're, when you're in a deal like that, is it a kind of turn and burn? Like it's, it's more of a, a quantity over quality situation or how does that break down? Oh, so, so much to say about publishing deals. Um, <laughs> because I looked at it, uh, to be honest with you, and I told you about this before I moved, like mm. 
that was the big fish for me. I was like, if yeah. I can land a pub deal and that'll be my focus when I'm not on tour, then I don't need to be like installing guardrails, you know, right. on people's staircases anymore. Yeah. You got a little people. bit of, yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the exact question again? <laughs> <laughs> like how how tethered to your work or to turn around in, in got like, you okay so turning like, out work when you do have a pub deal like that yeah I mean everything to do with the pub deal comes down to one thing to me and that's the relationship with your person at the publishing company is that person A and R yeah okay or they'll sometimes call themselves the creative or whatever you know mm-hmm. the person who signed you and who's trying to get your stuff places and, and telling you what's going on and, you know, trying to, trying to get you songs placed. And they're also trying to get you into rooms with other songwriters or other producers sure. to help and, you kind of. Yeah. And so climb the ladder, so to speak. Yeah. And if you're with someone who's good, who really understands you, they're not just going to work you raw. They're not trying to just get songs out of you. Right. They're going to try to put you in good rooms, hopefully good rooms that they think you fit in. And then, you know, ideally they'll um, champion you and your songs, you know, around the industry. It's really hard to find them, man. Like, um, especially, you know, in like a place like Sony now, it's huge. Um, or any of the big places, Universal, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, you have to be really lucky to find that person who's really going to champion you if you're not Justin Bieber or Post Malone, you know? Like if you don't have a big old freaking pile of money coming your way and they know it very, very, very hard to break in and, and actually make money just in music. Yeah. Do you think with that in mind, there's more job security on the engineering side of things than there is necessarily on the production and songwriting side of things? Um, I mean, we know the upside for the latter is a lot more because yeah you know yeah getting points and it's all that but yeah you can make a million dollars in i don't know freaking 10 minutes sometimes being a songwriter producer um but yeah i that's that's a hard one because i mean to my knowledge just studios right i don't think studios are doing awesome no um i don't think there's any more being built so as far as working there it'd be tough i think it's kind of a saturated market honestly yeah it seems it, but I've never really tried to make a career as an engineer, so I don't. I don't honestly know. Yeah, but that's kind of what I get. Could you walk us through what your dynamic is, or or the dynamic that you try to bring to a room when there's multiple songwriters, m- multiple songwriter producers? Maybe there's an A and R guy who's coming in and mm-hmm. sh- won't shut the fuck up. You know, like. <laughs> do you, do you I don't know do you take more of a proactive leadership role or are you kind of more of a secondary like what's your natural kind of vibe in those situations uh you got to kind of read the room you know but in, in the uh in the situation you said like the dickhead a and r like I'm I'm very no nonsense these days like I don't need to win that guy over like I'll kick yeah. him out he's out you know because <laughs> he'll try to freaking the wrong one will try to get like five percent of publishing just for being in that room and breathing your air you know it's like yeah, yeah you weirdo yeah you're just killing our vibe but you know ultimately um the best songwriting situations are when you're in the room with the artist so being the guy who's usually responsible for like all the music 
and uh, also songwriting, I kind of take the approach of, okay, all right, is this person comfortable? Is this person having a good time? Because they're the one who's going to end up with the song at the end of the day. And um, kind of go from there, you know. But I generally, you know, I try to keep a good vibe in the room, and that's why I'd kick that A&R out pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, I want to say uh, there was I did one or two like you know, like lots of people in a room working on a song mm. with you. I wouldn't call them co-writes, but it, you know, just hanging out working on a song, but I I don't remember if that was like for the purpose of a specific artist or it was just to get something down on tape to have. Yeah, those were just um we were probably just writing towards uh what they call a uh what are they calling it these days? Call sheet or whatever. Sony will send out like, you know, <laughs> these ridiculous like four page lists of artists and what they're looking for. And often it's like, oh, you know, uh, Maroon 5 is looking for something kind of like um, what Maroon Jesse J is doing mixed with like old Kenny G kind of vibes, but also <laughs> like Fifth Harmony. And then, oh, that Bieber stuff is really cool. And you're like, great, thanks. You're really freaking helping. Glad I signed. <laughs> so we were probably doing one of those sessions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I if I can think back to what the song was, that probably uh, that that probably makes sense. But I would say my point is that in those situations, or even when you and I are actually working in the studio on divided end stuff, like the vibe is always good with you. Like you're very very yeah, easy yeah. to work with. So uh, as are so you, thank, my friend. Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, I haven't had to kick you out yet. No, no. Um, and <laughs> my A&R guy doesn't return my emails, let alone uh, show up to any recording sessions. Oh, gosh. I, I think we're You're probably <laughs> better off for the latter. <laughs> All right. So which one of these is not like the other? Okay. Five Seconds of Summer, Kelly Clarkson, and Divided Heaven. <laughs> clearly. Clearly <laughs> Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> <laughs> actually I, I met one of the the five seconds of summer guys once and i was oh like, yeah i mean it was, it was at a warp tour they weren't playing but uh i was like we kind of have the same haircut at that time we yeah. kind of had the same haircut i don't know like if you had to put a microscope over your pop world yeah. like where do you think your strength is is it someone who's is a little rougher around the edges like yours truly or is it people who are already established or like kind of where do you, th what's your fucking wheelhouse? Um, well, I've had uh, a lot of success with like, um, developing younger talent. Like you, you mentioned five seconds of summer. I actually had, um, I think it was their biggest hit on their first album. It was their ballad, uh, called amnesia. Amnesia. Yeah. And I guess, yeah. I mean, that they were babies then, but like, yeah, I guess you're right. They were new too. They weren't just. Yeah, you know, like they weren't nobody, but they were kind of like coming up and, and having them in the room. You know, I'd been in that kind of situation before. I did this project, um, L2M uh, with Tim Byrne and as their A&R. And it was, it was like this group that of four little girls, was it four or five? I can't remember. But anyway, they were like loosely tied to the Lego brand and. They were very young. Um, I think the youngest one was like nine or something. Uh, and we did all these like pop songs and it was like awesome, but super young, super cheesy. Um, but that ended up actually having some success, at least in the business world. Like people really loved it and knew who they were. They released and um, 
that and then uh the switch thing too is like they're not young but they're they weren't a band like we developed them so probably talent development honestly man i like to help people i like to help people find their sound but also it's it's cool to like have a new artist who doesn't really have a preconception so much of what they sound like so they're willing to kind of sound like you a little bit you know like i get a little freedom to just kind of like stretch my you know muscles a little bit i guess production yeah. wise yeah a little bit of a the quid pro quo yeah 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 all right well dude thanks for coming on the podcast dude thanks for having me man of course um, i'm glad I this hope- wasn't videotaped because i'm pretty sure i've like picked my nose three times <laughs> <laughs> all right now i'm throwing this on youtube no it's yeah. uh it's uh it's all good man yeah and i fuck man I, I mean forget about like recording and making music together i hope we just get to get in the same room at some time before the end of the year and just ha- have a beer or a, a coffee or uh i don't know i think about the spread that your parents put together for that super bowl party that i left early like, oh, i think man. about the food that I left on the table literally like once a week. Dude, we go hard for Super Bowl. <laughs> like And that was the Niners year, so you guys were going extra hard. Yeah. I, yeah. Yep. Yeah, this year, eh, we still went pretty hard. There's a lot of unconsumed chicken wings. A lot of them. But yeah, man. I'm glad uh I'm glad you enjoyed it. I freaking miss you, dude. We I always have a good too, time man. together. Yeah, I know. I know. All right, man. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. And there you have it, my conversation with friend and producer Mike Biancaniello. Be sure to check out all his work. You've probably heard it already because his songs are on the radio. And uh, yeah, be sure to listen to About You, the Divided Heaven song that Mike produced because it's great and it's definitely outside of my typical comfort zone. Awesome. I love to work with Mike, and I'm sure it'll happen again. Uh, shout out to uh, his sister Gina, who I love, and uh, his brother-in-law uh, Peter Eichemans, the Dutch bastard friend of mine. I love you both. I love you, Mike. Thanks to all of you for supporting the Berman Hour podcast. Thanks for checking out Oblivion, and of course, if you want to pick up the record, go to dividedheaven.com. All right, I'll see you on next week here on the Berman Hour podcast. Let's get it.